The last words that we say before we die reveal a lot about us. It reveals who we are, what's important to us, how we look at life, how we have lived our life. Marie Antoinette, who was being taken to the guillotine to be beheaded, as she walked up the steps to that guillotine, stepped on the foot of her executioner. And the very last words that she said before she died was, pardon moi, pardon me. Says something about who she was, how she looked at life. As Samuel Goldwyn, the, the movie mogul, lay dying, he said this. He said, I never thought I'd live to see this day. P.T. Barnum, the greatest showman who ever lived, said this before he died. How were the receipts at Madison Square Garden? General John Sedgwick, he was a, a Union commander in the Civil War. His final words were cut short. He said as they were preparing for a battle, they couldn't hit an elephant from that day. And the bullet that killed him struck him in that instant. When we think about last words, they reveal a lot about us. Warren Wiersbe said this about last words. He said, like an x-ray, they can reveal the heart and the mind of a person. And that's so true of Jesus, isn't it? I mean, when we look at the, the three years of Jesus' public ministry, Jesus said a lot. He said some incredible words, some wise words that have, that have literally changed millions and billions of people over the last 2,000 years. But what you need to understand is those last words that Jesus said as he was hanging on the cross revealed both Jesus' heart and Jesus' mind. When Jesus was nailed to the cross, Jesus made seven statements. Seven statements before he died, before he was buried in a borrowed tomb. From 9 o'clock to 3 o'clock in the morning, he made three statements as, as light shone down on the earth. And then from 12 o'clock to 3 o'clock in the afternoon, Jesus made four statements as darkness covered the face of the earth. Now let me set the scene for you, if I may. The night before Jesus was put on that cross, he celebrated Passover with his disciples. And after he celebrated Passover, he took his disciples and went to Gethsemane, which was an olive grove. And there he was going to pray, and he asked his disciples to pray. And as Jesus prayed in that garden, he prayed the same prayer three times. He said, Father, if it could be your will, remove this cup from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. You see, Jesus understood what was about to happen. He understood the physical, the emotional, the spiritual torment that he was about to go through. And as he was in that, that garden of Gethsemane, that olive grove praying, he was in anguish. And he was saying, God, if there is any other way for your purpose to, to happen. If there's any other way that mankind can be saved, then do it. But Father, I submit to your will. I don't want my will. After he had prayed that prayer three times, we are told that, that a mob came, led by Judas, one of his disciples, who betrayed him, and they took him away. 
And they carried him to the religious leaders who falsely accused him. Then they took him to the Roman authorities who beat him and whipped him without mercy. He was mocked and he was humiliated. He had to carry the crossbeam of his cross that he was nailed to through the streets of Jerusalem. When he arrived at Golgotha, which is called the place of the skull, the place where he would be crucified, he was stripped naked and he was nailed to that cross between two thieves. Most of us have seen pictures or we've watched movies about the crucifixion of Christ. But what you need to understand is no picture or movie could ever graphically describe all that Jesus went through that day. Let's think about the physical pain for just a moment. He was beaten with rods. And then he was whipped with an instrument called a a cat of nine tails until his flesh was torn from his body and his bones and his internal organs would have been exposed. Then he had to carry that crossbeam on his torn up back through the streets of Jerusalem. When he arrived at Golgotha, they placed him on that crossbeam. They extended his arms and they nailed his um, hands and his feet to that cross with five to six inch spikes. Then they bent his legs at the knees. They crossed his feet and they nailed his feet to that cross. And there he hung in that Middle Eastern sun. The sun was beating down on him, bearing down on him. And as it got hotter and hotter, the insects began to gather on him like insects gather on a dead or dying animal. As people walked by, they mocked him and jeered him. The physical pain that he went through was agonizing. His tendons were torn. His muscles ached. His body was shredded. His heart was pounding as he was nailed to that cross. And what made it even worse is that Jesus had to fight for every single breath that he took. You see, most people that died on a cross didn't die because they bled to death. They, they didn't die because of internal injuries. They died by suffocation. You see, they would nail the people to the cross in such a way that you would have to pull yourself up to breathe. And then you would have to let yourself down to, ex- to exhale the breath. And so you were constantly pulling yourself up and letting yourself down. And as you did, your, your um, torn back would go against that crossbeam. And as you did, those nails would would just cut into your hands and and cut into your feet. Every single breath you had to fight for. History tells us that, that some people were on that cross for eight to nine days. Think about that. Think about hanging on a cross, dying for eight to nine days. So Jesus was on that cross struggling for every single breath. And so you can imagine that for him to even say a word was difficult. And yet he uttered seven statements. The physical pain, 
And then think about the emotional pain for just a moment. Crucifixions were designed to humiliate. They were designed to strip a person of their dignity, to disgrace them. As best we can tell, they stripped Jesus naked and he hung on that cross. Now when we see pictures and when we watch movies, we we see Jesus in a loincloth. But Jesus wouldn't have been on a loincloth. He would have been naked, exposed to the entire world. And this was no ordinary weekend in which he was crucified. He was crucified on Passover weekend. There would have been millions of people in Jerusalem that day. And crucifixion was a public event today. When a person is executed, they're executed behind closed doors. In that day, it was a public event execution and the people would come by and they would laugh and they would mock at the people they would they would humiliate them and think about this as all of these people were coming by laughing at Jesus mocking at Jesus as he was on that cross exposed for the world to see there in front of him was his mother mourning grieving weeping for a dying son the physical pain, the emotional torment, but, but in reality those things pale in comparison to the spiritual agony. The Bible says when Jesus was on that cross, he who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. When Jesus was on that cross, he took our sins upon himself. Have you ever heard that expression, you know, that person looks like the weight of the world is on their shoulders? Have you ever heard someone say that? Well, when Jesus was on the cross, the weight of the sin of the world was on him. Jesus took the sin of all humanity, past, present, and future, on himself. And here he was on that cross, his body broken and bleeding, torn apart for you and for me, exposed for the world to see, taking the sin of the world upon himself. And what did he say from the cross? Did he say, judgment is coming? Did he say, your day's coming? No, every word that he uttered from the cross expressed his love for us. Think about that. He he didn't say, God, take this pain away. He didn't say, God, deliver me. He didn't say, God, get even for me. Every word Jesus spoke from that cross expressed his undying love for us. And that's what we're going to look at for the the next five weeks. These words that express how deep and how wide the love of God is for each And every one of us. So this morning, I want us to look at the first two statements, the the first two words that he said. So if you have a Bible, turn with me to Luke 22. Luke 22, and and we're going to look at verses 32 through 43. Or Luke um, 23, excuse me, Luke 23, 32 through 43. In, In verse 32, it says this. Two others, both criminals, were led out to be executed with him. When when they came to a place called the skull, they nailed him to the cross. 
And the criminals also were crucified, one on his right and one on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. The soldiers gambled for his clothes by, by throwing dice. The crowd watched and the leader scoffed. He saved, he saved others, they said. Let him save himself if he really is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers mocked him too by offering him a drink of sour wine. They called out to him, if you are the king of kings, save yourself. Sign was fastened to the cross above him with these words. This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed. So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. But the other criminal protested, don't you fear God even when you have been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you today, you will be with me in paradise. Jesus' very first words, the very first thing he said on that cross was a prayer on our behalf. Think about that. The first thing Jesus said was not to beg for relief from the pain. The first thing he said was not a cry out for justice. The first thing he said was not deliver me, God. It was intercession for us. He prayed for us. He prayed for you. And he prayed for me. He prayed for those who condemned him to die. He prayed for those who nailed him to the cross. He prayed for those who scoffed him and mocked at him. He prayed for them. There are some of you here this morning who you've shared the gospel with someone you love. You've shared it multiple times. And you've ministered to them over the the course of your life and their life. And and they haven't come to Christ. They haven't given their life to Jesus. And you're thinking, what else can I do? You can pray. When Jesus was on the cross, he was making intercession for those who were far from God. Father, forgive them. Never, ever lose sight of how important it is to make intercession for those who are far from God. And so if you are a follower of Jesus, let me challenge you. Take that prayer guide and for the next 30 days begin to pray for your friends, your neighbors, your family members who are far from God. Put their name in that blank and pray for them. Prayer changes things. But what we need to understand is whoever we are, wherever we may be in our spiritual journey, Jesus was praying for us. He was praying for those who needed forgiveness at the cross and he was praying for those who would need forgiveness in our day and age. He was praying for you. He was praying for me. Now let me share with you a couple of things about this prayer that just are amazing. First of all, it was a repeated prayer. Jesus prayed this prayer over and over again. Now you're probably asking, what do you mean? It's only written down once. Why can you say that it was a repeated prayer, that it was prayed over and over? Here's why. Because that word said is in the imperfect tense in Greek, which means it was a repeated action. It was a repeated phrase. What this literally means in the Greek is this. Jesus kept on praying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. You see, Jesus didn't pray this once. 
He prayed it over and over and over again. We don't know how many times. We just know that throughout that time on the cross, he continued to verbalize that prayer, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they do. Here's what I believe. I believe when he was standing before those religious leaders who falsely accused him, he said, Father, forgive them. When he was before Pilate, who condemned him to death, he said, Father, forgive him. When his back was being stripped bare of flesh as he was beaten by those Roman soldiers, he said, Father, forgive them. As that executioner nailed those nails into his hands and his feet, he said, Father, forgive them. As those thieves and the soldiers and the crowd mocked him and laughed at him to humiliate him, he said, Father, forgive them. Over and over he prayed this prayer for you and for me. And you know what the Bible says? The Bible says that Jesus is in heaven today making intercession for us. And you know what I believe? I believe with all my heart. One of the prayers that he is praying as he makes intercession to the throne of God today for each and every one of us is this prayer. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. This was a repeated prayer. It was a redeeming prayer. It reminds us of the holiness of God and and the sinfulness of man. It, it, It reminds us that our sin is so great that it cannot be overlooked. But it also reminds us that God's love is so great that he was willing to pay the greatest sacrifice to save us and and redeem us. I'm afraid that we're living in a day and age that that we really do not understand either the holiness of God or the sinfulness of man. We just don't understand it. There used to be a day when when it seemed like, I mean, people came under conviction when their sin became clear to them. They were overwhelmed by the guilt and the shame of that sin. And we just don't see that anymore. That burdens me. Because I tell you, this prayer reveals that God is a holy God and we are sinful people in need of of a redeeming God. It is a revealing prayer. It reveals the extent of what Jesus did. When Jesus said, Father, forgive them, that word forgive means to send off or to release. I, I like that word release. Because when I think about forgiveness, I think about three things that we are released from. We're released from the pain that our sin brings. The guilt, the shame. There are some of you here today who who are overwhelmed with guilt and shame because of things that you've done. And I'm here to tell you that the cross can set you free from the pain of your sin. It, It frees us from the punishment of our sin. Jesus took our punishment upon himself so that you and I would not have to experience the punishment of our sin. And his forgiveness releases us from the power of sin. 
There is no way on your own that you can be set free from the power of sin in your life. But I'm here to tell you that through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the power of the cross of Jesus, we can be set free from the power of sin in our life. We no longer have to be slaves to sin. But this also reveals to us our responsibility. Did you notice what Jesus prayed? He said, Father, forgive them. And then that next phrase, kind of is confusing. They don't know what they do. I mean, when I read that, I'm going, yes, they did. They knew exactly what they were doing. They falsely accused him. They knew it. Pilate said, this man has done nothing wrong, and yet he condemned him to death. Those Roman soldiers, they had to know that you don't treat a human being that way. The people that mocked him and laughed at him, yeah, we do that. But who wants someone to do that at us? We know it's wrong. Our conscience convicts us of those things. They knew what they were doing was wrong. But here's the thing. They didn't know the extent of their sin. And they didn't know who their sin was against. You see, they were sinning out of ignorance. And some of us have this idea that if we sin out of ignorance, if we don't know what we're doing is sin, then it's okay. And and I'm here to tell you that even if you sin out of ignorance, even if you don't think that it's wrong and it's wrong, you still sin against God. Let me give you an example. Suppose you're driving down the road, minding your own business, listening to Christian radio. Going 55 miles an hour, having a good day. And all of a sudden you see the blue light behind you. And obviously because you're listening to Christian music, you're going 55, you're assuming he's wanting to pull you over to tell you how good of a citizen you are. (laughs) So you pull over and you roll down your window and say, good afternoon, officer. How can I help you? And he says, license and registration. And you go, well, are you going to give me a commendation? He says, no, Uh, you were going 55 in a 35 mile an hour speed limit. And you go, but officer, I didn't know the speed limit was 35 and you could be telling the truth. And the officer says, well, quarter of a mile back there on your right, it's a sign. You missed it. You I'm so sorry, I didn't see the sign. I won't do it again. He said, okay, as he is writing up your ticket for $200. Now, here's the thing. You may have been completely innocent in your own mind. You didn't know that you were breaking the law, but you were breaking the law. And you had to pay the fine. You had to pay the ticket. You see, there are many people today who are living in our culture that don't know right from wrong, it seems. I mean, we're calling wrong right today. And we think it's okay because we don't know that it's wrong. And yet, we're still guilty before God. I want you to listen to what it says in Acts chapter 3. Peter's preaching. And he's preaching to the very people, the Jews, at the temple, who had nailed Jesus to the cross. And he says this, he said, You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We're witnesses of that fact. And then he goes on to say this, 
He said, friends, I realize that when you and your leaders did to Jesus was done in ignorance. Did you get that? I realize that what you and your friends did to Jesus was in ignorance. But God was fulfilling what all the prophets had foretold about the Messiah, that he must suffer these things. But now you must repent of your sin. You must turn to God that your sins may be wiped out. You see, just because I don't know something's wrong doesn't make it right. It's still wrong. Here's what A.W. Pink said. He said, sin is always sin in the sight of God, whether we're conscious of it or not. Sins of ignorance need atonement just as truly as do conscious sins. God is holy, and he will not lower his standard of righteousness to the level of our ignorance. Ignorance is not innocence. And by the way, when we are truly converted, listen to me, church. When we are truly saved, when we're born again, when we are made new, God's Spirit comes to live in us and guide us to what is right. Every single human being is born with a conscience that guides us as human beings to right and wrong. The Bible says we can sear our conscience over time, but we're born with a conscience. But when we are born again, God's Spirit comes to live in us, to guide us, to direct us. And what that means is this. We no longer just rely on our conscience. God's Spirit is directing us. And we as believers should know right from wrong. And so I'm here to tell you, if you are a child of God and you're living in sin, you're either lost or you're under conviction right now. Because there is no way we as believers, with God's Spirit living in us, revealing sin to us, can live with that without a spirit of conviction. So, Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. So what, what does that do? Well, first of all, what does it expose? It exposes that we're all guilty. We all need forgiveness. The Bible says no one is righteous, not even one. The Bible says our very best efforts are but filthy rags. We are told all we like sheep have gone astray. We're told for all have sinned, all fall short of the glory of God. That means every one of us. That means you. That means me. That means, listen, our children who are in the nursery, the preschool. That means our grandmother who we think was a saint. We are all sinners. We all deserve death. I do. You do. Your children do. Your parents do. We all are deserving of death. Why did Jesus say, Father, forgive them? Because we need forgiveness. Every single one of us. This morning as I was preparing this message, I was praying, and all of a sudden I was overwhelmed by the Spirit of God. Overwhelmed. Now understand, in my past, I've done a number of things that, that I wish I'd never done, and they're covered by the blood of Jesus. I'm not carrying the guilt or the shame of those things anymore. And so for me to say I'm ashamed of those things, I'm ashamed I did them, but I am not carrying the shame of those things. But there are a lot of things that I've done that, 
that I no longer struggle with, I no longer do. And yet this morning, God reached down from heaven and He convicted me that I am self-righteous. I'm so judgmental. I mean, I look at people and, and I, I don't do this publicly. I don't do it in front of you. But I mean, in my mind, I'll look at the way someone's dressed. And if their skirt is, well, I don't even know if you can call it a skirt. If, you know, they've got something on that's hopefully covering the panty line. But I will see someone wearing something like that. And my immediate reaction is, look at her. I don't say it out loud. I may say it to my wife. I don't say it to other people. But I mean, I think, I think that. And I mean, Jesus spoke to me. And, 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 and I could go on and on and on because I am awful at that. I'm awful at it. And this morning I was praying and God said, I died for those people. I've called you to love them, to judge them. I'll take care of the judgment one day. No, I want you to love them and show them my love so that they can experience my love, so they don't have to experience my judgment. That's your job. Show them love. And I just began to weep and weep and weep because I realized it's not that person that is exposing themselves. It's not that person that is drunk. It's not that person that's selling themselves. It's not that person that is addicted. It's not that person that is caught up in porn. It's not that person who is doing whatever else that is the worst sinner of all. I'm the worst sinner of all. I'm so undeserving of the love and the mercy and the grace of God. And yet on that cross, he took my sins upon himself. I don't deserve it. You don't deserve it. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. They don't realize how sinful they are. They don't know how holy you are, Father. Father, forgive them because without your forgiveness, there is no hope. What does this expose? We're all guilty. Second, what does it express? It expresses how much we are loved. When God forgives, He doesn't just overlook our sin. It had to be paid for. Sin is that serious. Sin is that heinous. And the only payment for sin was for someone like us in the flesh who had never sinned to die. Well, there's no one like that. That is until Jesus came. Jesus was born in the flesh, took on a human body, lived a perfect life, so that he could be the once and for all sacrifice for our sins. And so when he said, Father, forgive them, he had every right to say to the Father, Father, forgive them. 
Romans 5, 8 says it this way, but God showed his great love to us and that while we were still sinners, enemies of God, Christ died for us. You see, Jesus' prayer reveals that we're more guilty than we ever want to believe, and yet we're more loved than we could ever hope. So what do we need to do? Well, we need to do the same thing that the thief did. Now, what you don't know from the passage we read in Luke is that both of these thieves were mocking Jesus. Mark's gospel makes that clear. Mark's gospel tells us that it wasn't just one of the thieves. Both of the thieves were mocking Jesus with the crowd, with the guards. But something happened to one of them. You want me to tell you what I believe happened? I believe this is what happened. When Jesus was on that cross and everybody was walking by and they were mocking him and laughing at him. The two thieves just joined in with them. But they heard Jesus over and over and over say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They continued to laugh. They continued to mock. And Jesus cried out, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And over and over and over, Jesus continued to mouth that as he picked himself up so he could speak, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And at some point in the morning, that one thief, his heart was changed. He was convicted. He was overwhelmed by the fact that there's something different about this man who is hanging between us. And that's when he cried out two things that led to his salvation. First of all, he acknowledged his guilt. He said, we deserve to be up here. We deserve to die. Can I ask you a question? Have you acknowledged your guilt before God? Do you realize that you deserve death? Do you understand that if you get what you deserve, you deserve hell? That's what you deserve. You say, I haven't done anything wrong. Then you don't understand who you are. You are a rebel against a perfect God. You've got to acknowledge your guilt. I am guilty before God. You can never be saved without doing that. And then you have to call out to Jesus. He said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He realized that he was hopeless. He deserved death. His only hope was Jesus. And he cried out to Jesus and asked for mercy. And Jesus heard his prayer, his plea, his cry. And he said, today, today, you'll be with me in paradise. You see, that's all it takes. We acknowledge our guilt before God. And we call out to Jesus who alone can save us. And he'll save us if we do that humbly and we do it authentically with a sincere heart. So where are you? 
Has Jesus changed your life? I mean, really changed your life. Can you say today, I deserve hell, I deserve death, and it's only through the grace of God that I have any hope? Can you say that? Can you say that you have called out to Jesus, trusting Him alone to save you if you haven't? Then I want to invite you this morning to do that. So I want you to bow your head with me, close your eyes. With your head bowed, with your eyes closed. If you're here, you have never humbled yourself before God, acknowledging your guilt. If you're here and you've never called out to Jesus, asking Him to save you, then I encourage you to pray this simple prayer right now, doing those two things. Dear Jesus, like the thief on the cross, I come to you this morning acknowledging that I'm guilty. I am a sinner. I deserve to die. I deserve hell. Oh, please forgive me. I don't want to live a life of rebellion anymore. Jesus, I know you love me. I know you are my only hope. I know that you came to this earth. You died on that cross. You rose from the grave so I could be forgiven. Forgive me, Jesus. Save me, Jesus. Make me new, Jesus. Change my life, Jesus. I'm placing my trust in you today. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Thank you for saving me. 